Amen. Now, interestingly enough, we're actually looking at the entire chapter of John chapter 16. We're not going to get bogged down too much there because the theme has been repeating itself from John 13 to now in John chapter 16. So we're going to be recapping some thoughts that we've already covered. My title for us this morning is simply, The Christian Life Is. The Christian Life Is. We're still in the upper room. It's John chapter 16, and we're going to take this chapter, as I said, in one large chunk because, number one, I don't want us to lose the flow by getting bogged down in words and phrases and the verbiage, and number two, Jesus is still on the topic of life in the Holy Spirit while we as Christians are living on earth. So today we're talking about what the Christian life is. Church, we're in something of a conundrum. On the one hand, God has blessed us with a palate and a tongue and taste buds. Amen? And eating is so enjoyable. But our spiritual appetite is what really matters. So on the other hand, we fast. On the one hand, God has blessed us financially with the necessities required to live And many of us have lives that many others envy, might never ever have or enjoy. But the spiritual nature is what really matters. So on the other hand, we live within a reasonable means because Paul says godliness with contentment is great gain. On the one hand, God has given children to us to expand our family, to bring us joy, and to give us the opportunity to raise people up for his glory in the kingdom. But on the other hand, those children belong to him. And we will give an account to God one day for how we raised or how we didn't raise our children. On the one hand, God has given to us the command to obey authority and respect for those in power. But on the other hand, we are citizens of an eternal kingdom. Amen? And our first allegiance is to King Jesus. Church, we're in something of a conundrum. We are Christians in a world that is unlike us. It teaches things that are not in alignment with what we believe. It asserts convictions about things that we don't believe. And it threatens us if we don't bow the knee and agree wholeheartedly every day of the week. We're in something of a conundrum. We are Christians in a world that is unlike us, and therefore it's imperative that you hear me when I say this. The Christian life is a life of the Spirit. The Christian life is a life of sorrow. Say sorrow. And finally, the Christian life is a life of satisfaction. The Christian life is a life in the spirit, a life of sorrow, and a life of satisfaction. I don't have a whole lot for you today, but my first point is this. The Christian life is a life in the spirit. You look at verse 1 of chapter 16. I've said these things, Jesus says, to keep you from falling away. They... Those outside the kingdom, the world, they, you know who they is. Some of you have a picture who they is right now in your mind. You're they in them right now in your mind. They, 
Yes, them. They will put you out of the synagogues. It's our equivalent of a church. It's where they came together to worship and to learn. They're going to put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think they're doing a favor for God. On the other hand, there is the Christian life, which is life in the Spirit. That's our first point. The Christian life is a life in the Spirit. If you've been with us for the past few weeks, you already know that this is the case. The Christian life is a life in the Spirit, not a life in the bylaws, not a life in some program, not a life in some sort of denomination, not a life for... You fill in the blank. We love filling in blanks. You fill in whatever blank you want. What I'm talking about here is what Jesus says. And may God help us never to have a controversy with what Jesus says. Jesus says the Christian life is a life that is lived by the Spirit. And not just any spirit. It's not the Spirit, as in, you know, the force. It's not the Spirit as in some goodwill or good nature that helps you kind of transcend the hardships that we face in life. You know, I just want to encourage your spirit kind of thing. And it certainly isn't the spirit as in the Antichrist or the spirit of the Antichrist. No, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the Christian life is a life baptized by, empowered by God, the Holy Spirit. Three things I want you to see in this text. First of all, when the spirit comes, the spirit brings security. Say this with me. The spirit brings security. Some of you feel terrible all the time because you've entrusted your life to Christ. You have faith in Christ, but you're not an obedient Christian. You don't want to go to hell. You want glory. You want Jesus. You want forgiveness. You kind of want permission. And so you're in Christ, but you're not living in obedience to Christ And so this security I'm about to teach you about, you don't really have. You have it as a matter of fact, but you don't have it as a matter of experience. The Spirit brings security. Perhaps this is why the Apostle Paul calls God the Holy Spirit the guarantee of our inheritance. In Ephesians 1.14. I'm not making that up. That's what the Apostle Paul says. That when God gives to his people his spirit, which is all in conversion, regeneration, baptism in the spirit, all happens instantaneously at once. That spirit is the guarantee that the inheritance Christ has for us is going to happen. Here Jesus says it like this. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogue. The real concern with Christ here isn't whether or not we will die. All Christians will die. The real concern with Christ isn't whether or not we will be eternally lost. All Christians are eternally secure in Christ. The real question is whether or not we will turn from Christ before we die. 
How many times have you turned from Christ this week? How many times did the Holy Spirit prompt you to do something, say something, not do something, not say something, and you did or didn't anyway? You see, the real issue isn't whether or not Christ provides for us security. The real issue is, are you living in such a way under the theology taught to us by the Bible, namely, that you did not save yourself to start with and you will not save yourself to finish with? Under that heading, under that theology, why wouldn't you feel secure? Jesus says, I have given to you my spirit so that you will know the security of someone in my family, not so that you could question it. There are a lot of churches and there are a lot of theologians that teach a conditional security. In other words, you can become a Christian and actually lose your salvation. Church, if that's what you need to believe, you need to go elsewhere. In my Bible, you will not find it. Therefore, I will not preach it. I preach the word, line for line, word for word, and what Christ says and what the apostles affirm is that when you are in Christ, you are never out of Christ. If you dwell close to Christ and then you wander away, it's only because you were never of us in the first place. Now, I'm not a perfect Christian, neither are you. Say amen. But it's not our perfection that dictates our salvation. Let me say that again. It's not our perfection that dictates our salvation. It's our faith in the one who's perfect. The Holy Spirit brings us security. Secondly, the Spirit will convict the world of sin. This is just a little farther down. He says, when he comes, in verse 8, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That's what Jesus says. When the Spirit of God comes, he's going to convict the world about sin and righteousness and judgment. The first thing is sin. He's going to convict the world of sin. What does this mean? It means that the Spirit of God stands over the world and proclaims that it's sinful because it doesn't believe in Jesus. That's verse 9. That is the ultimate sin. This is where we get a little confused. We like to sort of measure sin. This is a horrible sin. This is, in a sense, this is true, and I think we see this biblically. Jesus says, therefore, you will receive the greater condemnation. There are some sins that are worse than others, but I can tell you the sin that is the worst, beyond all sins, and that is a rejection of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of the world. That sin will land you in hell. All the other sins that you came in here with today, Jesus can save you from that. You will be saved by that, from that, excuse me, by Jesus. But you can't be saved from a Savior in whom you will not put your trust the Spirit will convict the world of sin. Listen, repentance and acceptance of Jesus leads to life. Rejection of the conviction that leads to eternal life will only lead you to condemnation. The Spirit convicts the world of sin, but the Spirit also convicts the world of righteousness. What does this mean? Well, it means that the Spirit of God empowers people to live out Jesus' righteousness, even though He has ascended into heaven and is with the Father. Even in Jesus' absence, so to speak, the church pushes back the darkness in his name. Even in Jesus' absence, the church walks in his footsteps and lives what we would call an example of who Christ is. Talked about this a little bit last week. Look at me as I look at Jesus. Remember that? 
the succession of imitation. The world sees the righteousness of Christ in his church. Or does it? Finally, the Spirit will convict the world of judgment. What does this mean? That the Spirit will convict the world of judgment because Jesus has finished the ruler of this world. Look at the text, if you would, at verse 11. Concerning judgment, this is the end of the paragraph, because the ruler of this world is judged. It's as good as done. The Spirit of God will convict the world of judgment because Jesus has finished, that is, judged the ruler of this world. I think in a sense it means that the world is fighting. The world is fighting with all of the strength that it can muster, like a cornered tiger because it knows its end is inevitable. The devil has lost. The end is inevitable. According to God's perfect time and in his providence, he will be bound forever and evermore. And the world knows it. The world is flexing its muscles, if you will, in the time it has allotted to it in the providence of God. But that time will come to an end because it's as good as done in God's plan. This is a biblical reality that will one day be demonstrated in ultimate and final judgment. Listen, we are one of the few that still hold to that, you know. There are so many sects and religions and denominations either, even that have gone, well, everybody's going to be saved, or there is no heaven, no hell, or it doesn't really matter, there is no God. There are a myriad of options. But only Orthodox Christianity holds to a God who is just, who is willing to punish sin in the sinner, but who is also willing to punish that sinner's sin in his son, so that by faith in his son, the sin for which we are guilty is forgiven and paid for. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 13. He says that he crucified his son so that he could be both just in that he punished sin and the justifier of those who believe in him. How good is that? In one radical historical event, God both dealt with justice and gave himself the way by which he could forgive sinners like me. That's the gospel. Secondly, the Christian life is a life of sorrow. Christian life is a life in the spirit, but also, secondly, the Christian life is a life of sorrow. I'm not going to read this entire passage to you out of the interest of time. I'm going to rattle off a few verses here as we move forward. But yes, you heard me right. The Christian life is a life of sorrow. This point might surprise you. It's a bit grim. I understand. But listen to me. The point is true. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, Jesus says, A little while, and you will see me no more. Verse 17, A little while, and you will not see me. Verse 20, Truly, truly, you will weep and lament. But the world will rejoice. 
There is no escaping the numerous warnings that Christ himself placed at the feet of his beloved disciples. And these are the words that the Apostle John is placing at our feet this morning. There will be sorrow in our life here on earth as we await our final home and glory with Christ. There will be sorrow. There will be sorrow. Some of you are Christians because you want a better life. And no one would blame you. Because even Jesus himself says in John 10.10, I came that they may have life and have it what? More abundantly. What a promise. But that life that Jesus is talking about is not this life. Don't mix up this life and that life. There's two different lives. There's a sense in which the sorrow a Christian possesses is a deep existential sorrow. An awareness that there's something wrong in the world. A sense in which our spiritual maturity. Those are two words you might not hear often. A sense in which our spiritual maturity brings us more and more and more to an awareness of all that's wrong in the world around us and the consequences that we're having to deal with as a result of all of that wrongness. In this vein, Ecclesiastes 1.18 says, For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases his knowledge increases his sorrow. You ever heard the phrase, blissfully ignorant? If you are blissful, you're probably ignorant. (laughs) Patty's going to tell me you shouldn't have said that part. (laughs) Receive it with love. Okay? Receive it with love. I'm speaking to you. And I'm speaking to myself. As you and I grow in our spiritual maturity, as our knowledge increases, there will be a direct correlation of our joy in Christ, but a sorrow because we're still in the world. This is exactly what's so disconcerting about people who are Christians, but really only resemble people who have had too much helium. How how are you doing? How are things? I'm so great. (laughs) Jesus is so good. I agree with that. Of course I agree with that. It's scriptural. It's biblical. And I know that. In my heart, in my life, I know that God is good to me. But every time he's good to me, I'm reminded of how evil this world is. There's a tension in my life. And there ought to be a tension in yours, too. If you have an awareness of sin, if you see the spiritual weakness and irresponsibility in the church, if you see what's happening in our country and in our culture, if you see what's happening, the redefinition of what is a man and what is a woman, if you see the family unit under attack, your family...
If you see your friends and your family members indifferent or even antagonistic toward Christ, church, how can you not be sorrowful? How can you not lay down at night and say, this wrecks my soul, man? Or not go to sleep at night. Up for hours. I couldn't sleep. Lord, speak to me. I can't sleep. Tell me. You're going to work in this person's life. God, tell me you're going to work in my son's life. God, tell me you're going to work in my spouse's life. Some of you are here without your best friend or your partner. Some of you are here without your spouse. Some of you are here without your kids. And this has become normal for you. But it should break your heart. It should ravish you. Be careful when you tolerate things over a period of time that the abnormal does not become your normal. There are things that grieve God because his design for your life is greater than your normal. Some of you need to be broken again over that thing which you have decided to become tolerable. That thing that you numb with food and television and alcohol. That thing that you numb with hobbies that are a complete waste of time. That thing that you numb by avoiding conversation or scripture reading or just by coming to church often enough to remind yourself that you do love Jesus. Be careful that that thing that grieves God has not become your normal in a way that you accept it and tolerate it. Even our Lord Jesus said it in his Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Which, if we flip around, seems to suggest that you won't get comforted if you don't mourn. I feel like in this life, if you have all the creature comforts that you want, you're not having any spiritual comfort come your way. You've got all the comforts in the world you could ever abide, that you could ever tolerate. Most of us stand in front of the refrigerator or the pantry, even though we ate five minutes ago, not because we're hungry or we have need, but because we're bored. And spiritually, we do the same thing. We anesthetize ourselves with pleasures, and we don't feel the conviction of the Spirit that says, this is not wrong. This is terribly wrong. Church, let's hold off looking at our best life now. Amen? Church, let's hold off looking for every single thing we could possibly acquire in this life as if we don't have an eternity in glory to look forward to. We need to get our perspective right. And if we're struggling with some things in our life right now that are in direct contravention of our Christian convictions and belief, say amen if you're listening. Good. 
good. If you find yourself in arguments and debates, if you find yourself in a tension in your life, like, man, I don't want to do the things that I used to do. If you find yourself going, the world's lost its mind. Not because they want men to go in women's bathrooms and women to go in men's bathrooms, but because they've been losing their mind for years. And it's just showing itself now because it's becoming more, listen to me, normal. Be careful what you tolerate because it becomes your new normal. This better not become your normal because it's not normal here. Some of you, to be palatable and agreeable and nice, you're selling out Jesus Christ. Every opportunity you get for the policies you believe should be disseminated in this country. They will come for us. I don't want 150 sheep in this church. I'd rather 80 lions who are ready to do battle for the faith who are ready to fight for the Lord Jesus Christ, who are willing to say, I had struggles in my past life. I made bad decisions in my past life. But the Savior I know now is greater than the sin I knew then. And I will follow him. And I will worship him. And it's going to be hard. And it will cause sorrow. But I will do it because blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. And our comfort will be found in prayer. Look at verse 24. Our comfort will be found in prayer. Until now, Jesus says, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive it. So that your what? So that your what? So that your joy might be made full. So that your joy might be made full. How can you be sorrowful and full of joy simultaneously? I don't know. I don't know. I think that's that moment when you're worshiping God for his sovereignty and his greatness and his grace while you're simultaneously thinking of that person you love who doesn't know Christ. In that moment, you have the sorrow of knowing that they're lost and the, saw, and the joy of knowing that God is God. In this life you will have sorrow. Thirdly and finally, the Christian life is not only a life of the Spirit and a life of sorrow, but it is, finally, a life of satisfaction. If you've read the Bible and said, what in the world does this mean? You're in good company, Amen. That has happened to me on more than one occasion, and it's happening to the disciples in this very moment. Look at chapter 16, verse 28. I've said these things to you in figures of speech, Jesus says. I've been speaking in parables and stories. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you how, plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I've come from him. 
I came from the Father, and I have come into the world. And now I'm leaving the world, and I'm going back to the Father. Look at it with your eyes. And the disciple said, the ESV says, ah! I think the Greek is, are you kidding me? Now you're going to speak plainly? Now you're going to speak plainly and not use figures of speech? Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you have come from God. And Jesus said, do you believe? The hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone. The Father's with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. What an important passage of Scripture. Now you're speaking plainly to us and not using figures of speech yet. There's nothing wrong with praying for clarity. There's nothing wrong with working hard on a text that you're reading because you don't get it the first time. There's nothing wrong with that. There is certainly nothing wrong with reading a a section of Scripture and saying, I read 12 verses, but I really only understand one. Sometimes you'll read the Bible, and it will be absolutely clear. And sometimes you'll read the Bible, and you'll, you'll think, what in the world was Paul thinking when he wrote that? The truth is, there are some challenging Scriptures as well. I love what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.7. He says, think on the things that I have taught you, and the Lord will give you understanding. What a wonderful binary issue. Think and use your mind. On the one hand, God will give you understanding. On the other, think and use your mind. God will give you understanding. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. We've got to use our minds, people. God wants us to be intelligent about the things of faith. Now, we don't all need a PhD, but we all need to work on becoming better tomorrow than we were yesterday. We should not be Christians at the six-month mark and the one-year mark and the five-year mark and not know anything but Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. If you think that's going to get you through your marital problems, you got another thing coming. If you think that child's prayer or song is going to get you through the difficult situations you're going to come into contact with as a Christian who is adulting, you got another thing coming. Use your mind. As you use your mind, God will grant you understanding. Sometimes God will grant you understanding beforehand. He's gracious like that. Sometimes he wants you to work because in God's providence, as we work to get closer to him, he takes a step back. And we continue to work 
and he takes another step back. Because in that time that demands our perseverance, we look back over that six months that we decided to commit to the study of Romans with Joe on Wednesday nights or something, and we look back and we go, look how far I have come in six months. God does to us in our spiritual growth the same things we do to our kids when they're walking. We don't surround them with something so that they never have to put weight on their feet, right? We let them put their weight on their feet, and then we start to step back from them, and we let them learn what it's like to walk. Our Lord does the same thing. He blesses us, empowers us with his spirit, but he's not going to carry you all the time. Even the scriptures say, we are not going to be spiritual babes forever, taking only the milk of the word. We should also be consuming the meat of the word which means we've got to use our minds. Sometimes as parents we say this to our kids or whoever, grow up, right? It's the simplest two words that we can convey to express all the thoughts that we're feeling in that moment. Grow up. That's what the Lord is telling us here. You're going to have trouble. I've overcome the world so that you can have peace in me, grow up. Maybe we can say the Christian life is ultimately a life of satisfaction, but however we choose to put it, church, there's no escaping the ultimate end for every single Christian, you and me and every single person who's in Christ. The end result for every single Christian is joy and satisfaction. Even the scriptures in the Old Testament testify to this very thing. Well, why wouldn't they? There is no difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Just one was older and one was newer. Listen to the scriptures. Psalm 16, verse 11. Psalm 16, verse 11. At your right hand, O Lord, are pleasures forevermore. Did you get that? At your right hand, O Lord, is homework forevermore. No? At your right hand, O Lord, are assignments forevermore. Our workouts forever, our disciplines for no, none of that. What is awaiting us at the right hand of God forevermore? Pleasures. Pleasures. Psalm 23, verse 6. I know you guys know this verse. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm in the house of the Lord, and, and, and what are the things that are following me all the days of my life? Goodness and mercy. Here's the clincher. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace, in the world, you will have tribulation. Get that? In me, you will have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is speaking to the church in the world, and he says, Take heart. Take heart. This is his way of saying, don't quit. Don't give up. Don't lose faith. 
This is exactly the language that Jesus uses when he gives those eschatological dialogues, those talks that have to do with the end times. When Jesus gives the talks about the end times to his people, he says things like this. They're going to come up on the screen, these addresses. Matthew 24, verse 44. Stay awake. You do not know what day your Lord is coming. Mark 13, 9. Be on your guard. Well, I don't want to be on my guard, so I'm going to plan. That way I can live my life the way I want to live it, and I can be ready the day before Jesus comes. You see how this, this doesn't work? Be on your guard. Luke 21, 19. By your endurance, you will gain your life. By your endurance, you will gain your life. I don't know what you're going through right now, but don't quit. Take heart. I I don't know what's wearing you down, but don't fall asleep. Stay awake. I don't know what you're wrestling against, what sin you're fighting against, but don't quit. Be on your guard. Jesus has overcome the world. And what's more, in 1 John chapter 3, we're called overcomers as well. He says, who has overcome the world? Those who are in Christ. Church, we are in a time when our holiness, our righteousness, and our convictions in Christ are paramount. We can't blend anymore. We used to be able to blend a little bit. We're not blending anymore. It's time for you and me to stand out.